Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Whoa. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Whoa. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Welcome to Right and Wrong. This is the show where we try to wake up the woke by talking common sense about the issues of the day. I'm your host, Brian Ruka, and with me as always over there is my man and yours, the king of drops himself, Mr. Juice. Most people know him as the truth box because he's just obsessed with the truth. Truth, what do you get to say to all the people in the Right and Wrong audience today, my man? During 9-11. People running away from those burning buildings, running away in horror. We saw policemen and firemen running to those buildings, basically running to their deaths to go help others because they saw trouble and they knew that they were needed. That's got to be us in this day right here. We've got to run to the trouble, folks. And what is the trouble? The trouble is the Biden administration that is seeking to turn this country into a socialist hellhole. The trouble is Antifa that wants to roam the streets and beat you into submission. The trouble is Black Lives Matter that claims to care about the lives of black people, but has turned a blind eye while violence in black communities are taking lives at a genocidal rate. They've turned a blind eye. That's where the trouble is, and that's what we've got to run to. And we've got all the right in the world on our side. And there ain't no reason to be afraid. And there ain't no reason to not take the challenge dead on. Because I'm going to tell you who we come from, folks. We don't come from some weak, jellyback, spineless people. That's not who we come from. None of us. And it doesn't matter what color you are, what nation your folks hail from, how much money you got. We all share the same name. We are Americans. And at Bunker Hill, there was Americans. And at Fredericksburg and Gettysburg, there was Americans. And at Iwo Jima, raising that flag on Sarabachi, it was Americans. And at Porkchop Hill, there was Americans. Quezon, there was Americans. And on 9-11, there was Americans who ran towards those burning buildings. That is who you share your heritage with. You do not share your heritage with a weak and ineffective people who cower at the side of trouble. You share your heritage with a strong and brave people who are determined to hold on to their freedom and for the freedom of future generations. Guys, it's time for us to stand up and be that generation. It's time for us to stand strong and proud and remember who we are, that we are Christians, that we are Americans that we are Republicans, and that we are conservatives. And as long as we stand as the vanguard of freedom in this nation, freedom will survive here. And not only survive, it will thrive. Yes, absolutely. Well done as usual. Keep up the good work, buddy. We have a packed show as usual this week, but before we preview things, I would like to remind everyone to please subscribe to the show and give us a five-star review. We need your help to get the uh, show to grow. So if you recently had a shoulder surgery and finally gave this show a chance, please give us a big thumbs up. All right, so today we'll be talking about the positive week that Donald Trump just had. 
It began with his CNN town hall, and it ended with him being validated for his year's worth of fake news claims when it came to the Russian collusion hoax. We'll also talk about Title 42 ending and how President Unity and his party have no plan at all in place to fix the border crisis. Then we'll dive into the Jordan Nailey Daniel Penny race hustling second degree murder charge in New York City. And in our Come On Man segment of the week, we'll listen to a message that was delivered to public servants from Massachusetts Governor Mara Healey. With that being said, I do believe it is time now for us to welcome in our good friend, Mr. Ric Flair, because it is showtime, baby! Woo! Showtime! Woo! Woo! Those of you that have been following the show since August will remember that I packed up my family and moved to South Carolina in search of greener pastures. I was pretty open with y'all about my disdain for Massachusetts specifically for the public education in the city of Boston. We'd also had it with the cost of living and the political climate in a deep blue pro-lockdown state. Well, I'm here to say that after one school year for the kids down south, we'll be returning home to Massachusetts. I talked a lot of smack on my way out, out the door, but as Dorothy Gale learned, there's really no place like home. You can change your surroundings, but you can't bring those lifelong relationships with you. I honestly took that part of the equation for granted. I thought, hey, we live in an age of communication. It'll be easy to maintain all, maintain all of our relationships. But phone calls and FaceTimes can't replace in-person gatherings. You really can't put a price on a simple birthday party gathering on a random Saturday. Or an out-of-the-blue trip to the beach with some friends. Believe me, I know that when I get home, all the same things that aggravated me before will continue to do so. I'm aware of that, but now, hopefully... It won't bother me as much because I've been able to gain a little bit more perspective. I'm not looking forward to 24-7 traffic. I laugh whenever anyone down here complains about the traffic. I worked in the city of Columbia, the state capital, and maybe three times hit a little bit of traffic on my commute. And it's a breeze trying to run around on the weekends down here. Go to the zoo, the lake, out to eat. No problem. Try doing anything down Route 3 on a weekend back home and you're stuck bumper to bumper. It would take me 20 minutes just to get out of Adams Village in Dorchester on a Saturday afternoon. I learned a lot in my short time away from home. I learned that whether you're in Massachusetts or South Carolina, you're still going to see crazy people walking around like masked up sheep. I don't necessarily think that I expected to never see someone in a mask down here, but I am surprised at the number of maskers. I will most certainly miss the friendliness of the South. I love the sirs and ma'ams that are used down here. There's definitely a stronger vocal appreciation of God everywhere you go in South Carolina. It's very common to hear, God bless you, from a cashier or from a co-worker. I'm worried that if I say God bless you to somebody back home at work, I'll get suspended for that. Speaking of cashiers, I know the whole Ruka family is going to miss the old guy who works at Publix. I'll wait in a longer line just to get to his register. He uses the same line every time, too. It's like clockwork. The man hands you the receipt, and he says, Appreciate ya! (laughs) I love it. Oh, we're going to miss that guy. Well, I'm going to try and adjust my mindset about things that challenge me in my home state politically going forward. Instead of getting frustrated and throwing my hands up, I'm going to attempt to be a solution to the problems. Massachusetts earned a reputation of pushing back against political tyranny when this country was founded. 
I want to try and use my voice in this show to encourage Massachusetts to regain that forgotten reputation. The political climate in my home state is rotten to the core right now, and I'd rather fight than flee. It's going to be an uphill battle, but that will just make the reward that much greater. The beauty of this fight is that it revolves around communication. And guess what? I love communicating with people. I need to do a better job at doing that in person and within my own community. Remember, politics is culture, and culture is formed within communities. Political change needs to happen within your own small community before it can branch out. When I say that, I'm mostly referring to our own small communities that we physically live in. But we also have our own small community right here that we're a part of as well. If you're listening to this, you're a part of the right and wrong community. And our little community is made up of all sorts of people that want what's best for our families and our countries. I'll tell you what, I'm proud to be the voice of this crew. It's my hope that if you listen to this show each week, that you can take a little bit of what we talk about and spread some of that around your home base. So whether my roots are planted in Massachusetts, South Carolina, or Timbuktu, just know that I'll never be afraid to swing for the fences, even if that means that I'll strike out from time to time. And you know what? I'm proud of the fact that we took a chance even though the the move ultimately didn't work out as planned. There were a lot of factors in play that we were not happy with when we moved, so we came up with a plan and we tried to make something happen. The plan ended up failing, but I don't look at the decision to try as a failure. How many people out there have the courage to try and improve their lives? Most people would rather just sit around and complain about it. Most people would rather fantasize and play the what-if game. Well, I'm proud that we took the chance to try and see what if. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into our rights and wrongs of the week. And uh, let's get right to it, huh, Juice? All right, topic number one is going to be the week that the former president, Mr. Donald Trump, just had. Started off with that town hall meeting on CNN, and it ended with um, the John Durham report being released. And basically, like I said in the open, validating all of the fake news claims that Trump made uh, in the past, what, seven years or so, however long it's been. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Let's jump right in. We'll uh, we'll start with the CNN town hall since that happened first. I'm sure everybody has seen most of these clips going around, has uh, either tuned in yourself or what have you, but we'll kind of do a little play-by-play, hit some of the highlights that stood out to us, and kind of go from there. So... The first one that I want to pull is probably the one that got the most coverage. Um, And actually, before I even jump into that, how about the fact that so many people on the left are just horrified by CNN, disappointed with CNN for even hosting this town hall and giving Trump any airtime whatsoever? I mean, what? Do you want them to just be that partisan? I mean, I know they are, but why shouldn't? a cable news organization give airtime to the leading Republican presidential nominee right now and the former president. People have an opinion on the man. Why not put him up there? Let one of their reporters, so-called reporter, uh, ask him some questions and let regular people ask him questions and stuff too, just like they did. Frankly, I'd love to see them do the same thing to the current president 
But Lord knows that man can't stand up there live on stage and react to people. But how is that a problem that a news organization actually tries to cover the news? <laughs> you get the AOCs of the world, you know, breaking down over it. They have Anderson Cooper apologizing after the fact. That's ridiculous. Absolutely absurd. So, all right, let's jump into it here. And the clip that, again, like I mentioned, you guys have probably all seen it went around a lot was the uh, the exchange that he had with the moderator, um, Caitlin Collins. So, Juice, you want to pull this one up for us? Have I think is why you held on to those documents when you knew the federal government was seeking them and then had given you a subpoena to return. Are you them. ready? Are you ready? Can I talk? Yeah. What's you the mind? answer? Can I, do you mind? I would like for you to answer the question. Okay. It's very simple to answer. That's why I asked it. It's very simple to you are a nasty person. Okay. <laughs> that was great. That is classic Trump right there. That made me think of, uh, the, the South Park blame Canada stuff. Can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? Okay, I'm finished. <laughs> that, that's what that exchange was between the two of them. It's like oh, like just bickering over who gets to get the last word in before you go for the answer. And why she would even try that with Trump. You know he's always going to get the last word in. He's not backing down from that. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to know the answer. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. Can you answer it? I'd love to know. I'd love to. Go ahead. Answer it. Answer it. Will you answer? Can you answer it? Answer it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> he's just like, he's not giving up. He's doing the hands are out there. And, oh, it was awesome. Classic Trump right there. You're a nasty person. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. But, of course, the left can't handle that. Oh, misogynistic. Oh, that's what a what a jerk he is. Blah blah blah, and it's like not for nothing. They always put female reporters in front of him now because they want something like that to come out of his mouth. What do you think they're gonna pull George Stephanopoulos out of the out of the closet to come out? Nope. They're gonna keep doing this this stuff. I forget. Uh, crap. What was that lady's name? I forget who it was. Now I can picture her. But the one who did the town hall um, in the 2020 election when he had COVID and they, they had to drop out the head-to-head him versus Biden. So they each did dueling town halls. And the lady was grilling him on that stuff, too. And it's like they're doing that just to try to get him to say something like that. Like, wow, you're a nasty woman. Lock her up. <laughs> oh, man, I got to gotta improve on my Trump. Maybe I will as the segment goes on. All right, what's the next one, Juice? We got plenty of clips to get to. Oh, how about this one? I think this was actually his best answer of the entire um, town hall when he was asked about the war in Ukraine. Uh, And I know it's true. You know it's true, whether you like the guy or not. I love his answer here. Juice, pull that one up. Ukraine weapons I was impeached by a crazy woman named Nancy Pelosi. But the Pelosi question here is, would you give Ukraine weapons and funding if you were elected? I would sit down. Let, let me just put it a nicer way. Uh, if I'm president, I will have that war settled in one day, 24 hours. How would you settle that war in one day? Because I'll meet with Putin. I'll meet with Zelensky. 
They both have weaknesses and they both have strengths. And within 24 hours, that war will be settled. It'll be over. It'll be absolutely over. Do you over. want Ukraine to win this war? Uh, I don't think in terms of winning and losing. I think in terms of getting it settled so we stop killing all these people and breaking down this, this country. Now, what do you, can I just follow up on that? You said you don't think in terms of winning you have and losing. Mr. President, can I just follow up on that because that's a really important excuse me, let me just follow up. There. Can you say if you want Ukraine or Russia to win this war? I want everybody to stop dying. They're dying, Russians and Ukrainians. I want them to stop dying. And I'll have that done. I'll have that done in 24 hours. I'll have it done. You need the power of the presidency to do it. Home run of an answer right there. I want them to stop dying. Russians or Ukrainians, I want them to stop dying. He's so right about that. And you notice... Again, the left, like the, she probably had one of those Ukrainian flags in her in her profile picture up on, on Facebook or something. I bet she has one in her bio. I didn't check. But why does the left like want Ukraine so much? They're so in favor of Ukraine. That's like all they can think of. Ukraine, good. Russia, bad. Where it's like Trump basically is like, I don't give a rats, you know what, who wins this war. I just want it to be over, period. End of statement. Like, enough already. You, you're not going to make the corrupt government of Ukraine into this white knight hero. Yeah, Russia should not have invaded their territory. But again, it's a complicated situation. All of that territory once belonged to, to Russia about 50 years ago. So I understand their motivation behind it. I don't agree with it. I don't support that. But I also don't think Ukraine's this poor damsel in distress either. That's just, you know, good, great country of Ukraine. It should be over, plain and simple. Doesn't matter who wins, who gets to declare victory. And that's what Trump's saying there. He's like, done, end it. That's it. He'll go in and and show them who the adult in the room is. And it's funny to say that about him. (laughs) He's the last one you think of as the adult in the room with some of his comments and stuff, but um, he's somebody who gets things done, plain and simple. He's going to go in, be like, listen, this, that, the other thing, it's over. Bye-bye. Let's go get a shamrock shake. Go get some fries from McDonald's. So (laughs) that's about it. That's what he'll do. Meanwhile, Biden will come in there, now sleepy joe would say the unemployment rate in the great state of ohio no no you're in south carolina joe joe you're in south they come up and you ever see the guy the note no no it's south carolina it's not ohio okay then he goes all right iowa did you say iowa no no i did that like seven times if i did that once it would be the end of the road right be the end of the road All right. Talking about that Trump humor a little bit there. Uh, Again, like I said, just call the guy the adult in the room. But I'm going to go to this clip here with, uh, you know, kind of shows his wit a little bit and kind of his honesty as a politician. Uh, I know he thinks of himself as an outsider and that's what he ran on and that's what he's going to try to run on this time. But he's not an outsider. He is the former president. Uh, Therefore, he's a politician. And what do politicians do best? 
flip-flop around. When they get called on something, they turn it around the other way. And, uh, you know, this is what Trump's doing here with this question. And at least he's honest out in the open about it and kind of funny about it. So I kind of liked this one, even though, you know, the answer's not great, but I don't think he had a good way to answer this one. So why not? kind of poke fun at yourself a little bit and uh, get the audience to laugh. And that's what he did. So, Juice, you want to pull that one up um, about him not being president now? That using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge uh, just could not happen. You you said that when sure. you were in the that's Oval Office. I was president. To, so why is it different now that you're out of office? Because now I'm not president. <laughs> yes. See, the question was her uh, about the debt ceiling, you know, the big... Big debate going on right now that we're going to uh, default on payments that the government needs to make. Joe Biden wants to not negotiate whatsoever with the Republicans in control of Congress right now. He doesn't want to bring down any of his spending at all, uh, which he should have to do. And, you know, she calls Trump on the fact that when Trump was president and the Nancy Pelosi controlled Congress wanted to negotiate with him over the same issue he called it, you know, whatever she said, they're bad. It shouldn't be used as a negotiating tactic and this, that, and the other thing. And she's like, well, now you're saying the Republicans should do this to Biden. What's different? And he makes the little face. He says, well, now I'm not president. <laughs> it's true. It's great. I mean, and that's what both sides do to each other. I mean, I guess it's not great, but um, I think – whether the Republicans in charge, the Democrats in charge, that it should be used as a negotiating tactic. The president shouldn't be able to just ram through whatever he wants to do, spend any amount of money that he wants. Um, you know, if Biden wants to, you know, do do some of the pet projects he has, he needs to cut costs somewhere else. He can't just keep adding, adding, adding. And I would say the same for if, if Trump got back in there. Uh, he spent a boatload of money when he was in office, so he can... Uh, Definitely spend a little bit less if he gets back in there. But I love the candor there and the honesty. And he makes the face. He looks to the crowd. Well, what's different now? Now I'm not the president. So there you go. (laughs) That was a good one. Um, What else we got here? Oh, yeah, of course. The defamation case that he just lost in New York City came up. And I pause to call it a rape case because it wasn't people are saying that he's accused of raping this woman now that the jury found him guilty of rape no they did not they found him guilty of defamation because he's called her a kook and said that her allegations were completely false and made up and she sued him in a civil court um to win some money off of him and i don't trust a jury in new york city at all to judge this man fairly. And this lady, E. Jean Carroll, claims that she was raped in the year 1995 or maybe 97, uh, gives this crazy story about, you know, just meeting Trump at, at the entrance to a department store and goes into the dressing rooms with him. She's trying lingerie on for him. There's nobody around at all. And then he forced himself on her, of course. Uh, And she waited on this information, what, 25 years or so, and then decided to come up with it. Oh, and they had a law changed in New York 
about two years ago, uh, that her people, her and her people, helped get changed in order to bypass the statute of limitations on a case like this. So it used to be that you couldn't just come up with this, uh, you know, X amount of years later and just, you know, make this erroneous claim about somebody. Erroneous! Erroneous! Erroneous on both counts! They got the law changed so that you could prosecute it uh, civilly about a year ago, two years ago, and this is like the first time that it was tried in the state of New York um, under this new provision that they got passed. So they clearly did this just to go after him because of who he is and how much they hate him. And if you think that this E. Jean Carroll is credible, uh, I got another thing coming for you. I'm going to pull up this uh, clip that we have from her that circulated back when she first made the claims. Um, you know, I think it was about four years ago now. Uh, she was being interviewed by Anderson Cooper on CNN. And this is E. Jean Carroll, the former sex advice columnist that was talking about her claims of Donald Trump raping her. Juice, you want to pull that one up? You don't feel like a victim. I was not thrown on the ground and ravished, which the word rape carries so many sexual connotations. This was not this was not sexual. It just it, it hurt. It just what it just, you know, well, I think most people think of rape as a, I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not. I think most people rape. think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're just going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. <laughs> what in the actual? Do you guys hear Anderson Cooper there? She says, most people think rape is sexy. He's like, yeah, let's go to break. Go to going to go to a break. Cut, cut, cut the tape. Stop filming. Shut your mouth, please, right now. This is not looking too good. Abort, abort, mayday. That's what's going on in his head. And she's sitting there. She's got this regular boy's crew cut, these crazy eyes leaning into the camera, making this weird face. And then... I think you're fascinating, Anderson. Like, come on already. That is some weird stuff. And I'm sorry, if you're going to make this claim about somebody so many years after the fact, your character needs to be um, in question as well. And doing an interview like that, calling rape sexy, and just being weird, that puts her into question for me. And... Ultimately, I hate to be like this. Like, people are going to call me a, a chauvinistic white male. Guilty as charged, I guess. But that's ultimately what rape always comes down to. It's a he said, she said situation every time. Because typically, you know, obviously, exceptions, gang rape is absurd, is disgusting. Uh, but there's multiple people involved with that. So, But the point I'm trying to make is that a rape situation is typically going to come down to two people in a room by themselves. That's why you should be very careful with who you decide to be intimate with. It's a great life lesson on 
not just swiping left in the in the hookup culture we have nowadays and shacking up and jumping into bed with somebody that you don't even know. Because you don't know who they are, what they're doing, what's what they're like. So I would never want to be put in a situation where you have to try to defend yourself on something like that. And, um, you know, I, I feel bad for women who have dealt with actual real rape. Like it's, it's one of the worst things you could do to somebody horrible. But when you get people like this, clearly motivated by political bias and hatred for one man because of his political maneuvering, you're willing to go ahead out there in the open and and do this. You dehumanize all the people who deal with actual rape. I'm sorry. That's what it is. And of course, Trump was asked about this case by um, Collins in the CNN town hall. And having said what we just said, believe me, rape is disgusting, horrible. And if you rape somebody and it's provable and you did it and you're found guilty on it, I support castrating you. That's how bad I think it is. But when you deal with this situation that Trump's dealing with, I do believe that he has every right to mock it, to ridicule this this person, and to ridicule all the cronies on the left that are egging her on and helping drag this thing out. So I love what he said about it. Um, and I'm sorry, it's funny. It's funny. Rape, not funny. What happened to this woman? Not rape, therefore can be used to mock and ridicule her. So, Juice, you want to pull that up? Let's see what Trump had to say about E. Jean Carroll. I had a picture taken years ago with her and her husband, nice guy, John Johnson. He was a newscaster, very nice man. She called him an ape. Happens to be African-American. Called him an ape. The judge wouldn't allow us to put that in. Her dog or her cat was named Vagina. The judge wouldn't allow it to put that in. (laughs) I'm sorry. That is one of the greatest lines I've ever heard. Her cat was named Vagina. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Oh, how, try to watch that and not laugh. Seriously. And again, it's classic Trump. He's got the hands going. He does the dramatic pause. The cat was named Vagina. <laughs> it's great. Unbelievable. Uh, Juice, please, please save that one for us. You can sneak that in anytime you want. You have my full permission because that is a classic. Um, And that's the way you handle this. I'm sorry. That is the way he should be handling this. The claim's ridiculous. The case is absurd. And he should mock and ridicule this person. So I'm, I'm in favor of it. Um, and the last thing we'll do from the town hall is the focus group that CNN met with after the fact to, um, you know, just to, to, I don't know why they put this out there, but to see if, um, you know, people supported the line of questionings, what happened, whatever, this, that, and the other thing. So love, um, what this person said to them, uh, that we're going to pull up here. Juice, you want to go to that one? 
Does it bother you that he keeps talking about 2020 and not 2024? I'll ask you first. This is Jonathan Leslie. He's 40, Republican, voted for Trump twice. How do you feel about those lies? So I feel like part of it's also the media narrative, as you guys asked him the first question at the town hall about the 2020 election, rather than current stuff. So don't you think he could say it's time for me to start talking about 2024, not lies that aren't true? Couldn't the media ask him a question about 2024? Well, there were questions, but you're right. That was the first thing, but that's something that was on our mind. And that's why I was asked first. Yep. And that's 100% true. Does it bother you that Trump can't move on from the 2020 election? The guy basically flips it. No, I mean, why do you keep asking him about it? Ask him about something now. Ask him about whatever. Ask him about anything else other than that. You guys are the ones who want to keep talking about that. You want to talk about the January 6th day, the insurrection. That's all you guys want to ask him about. What do you expect him to say? I mean, let him elaborate then. Don't just brush him off. Ask him about the 2020 election and be like, hey, you will, you know, you couldn't get a court to agree with you. What do you think happened? Why do you keep making these claims? And I'm sorry, the, the next part of the segment here, the John Durham report that just got released is going to kind of be the way he should be going with this. I know that was involving the 2016 election against Hillary, but look at what the deep state and the government and the FBI was doing to try to disrupt him from winning that presidency and then disrupted his entire presidency while he was in office. You don't think he has the right to feel like some shady maneuvering was done behind the scenes in order to rig that election in 2020? And that's where I think he he would be better off if he could explain it that way. He just says stolen, um, you know, boxes, ballot box stuffed, and there's some things out there, but it, it was unprovable in court. I could say that. And he would be better off if he went along the lines of, listen, you changed all the rules leading up to the election, mass uh, mail-in voting, ballot harvesting, you scared everybody with the COVID nonsense leading up to it. That's what happened. That's what turned to the election. Joe Biden was able to campaign from a bunker in his basement the whole time. So, of course, it was rigged against him. But the point of that clip was to show you that the media is trying to have it both ways. That's all they want to talk about, want to talk about. And then they want to, on the backside, blame him for not being able to move on from the 2020 election. And I love that that uh, voter there is like, well, that's on you. So good job there. Um, as far as the Durham report, the John Durham report is a 300-page report uh, about the FBI's handling of the claims of the 2016 uh, that Trump was in cahoots with Russia to steal that election. And it vindicated everything Trump has said about fake news. This is all a hoax. Fake news. I'm not a Russian stool pigeon. Patsy. <laughs> Puppet. Whatever else you want to call him. Stooge. Um, and the report says that Obama himself was briefed that the Hillary campaign was the one that was floating this information about Trump being in bed with the Russians. Obama was briefed about it. 
his FBI, his DOJ continued to investigate and the report found they had no reason to actually look into this, to give it any credibility whatsoever. And the media is to blame here, but nothing's going to happen. Nobody's going to go to jail over it. No one's going to apologize for it. And you better keep your head on a swivel because they'll do the same thing this time around. Whether it's Trump, DeSantis, Vivek, Nikki Haley, they don't care. Anybody with an R in front of their name. Tim Scott, doesn't matter. They'll go after you. And they have everything in their corner. They have the media. They have the bureaucrats that have been collecting a government paycheck their whole lives. They have the deep state in their pocket. They have it all. And they'll use it. And that's a scary thing. So they're not going to stop. But we need to keep talking about it. You got to point it out to people because it's ridiculous. All right. I think we did a lot on Trump. It was a big week for him. Fun to talk about. And you guys know I'm not even a Trump guy. Like, I I would support him all day. He's great. I still think he was an awesome president, but I'm uh, Team DeSantis for this election. I haven't been shy about that. But very good week for Mr. Trump. So we'll move on to the next one. What do you think, Juice? Next. Her cat was named Vagina. The judge wasn't allowed to put that in. So Title 42 expired last week. It was on, uh, I believe, Thursday night, and Joe Biden has no plan whatsoever. The Democrats have no plan whatsoever how to deal with the astronomical number of immigrants, both legal and illegal, entering this country, specifically from the southern border. It is crazy how long this has been an issue. I honestly feel like immigration's been an issue my entire life, and it's aggravating because the Dems don't want to solve the situation at all because if they solve it, if they come up with something, they can't just cry about it and fundraise on it and campaign on it. It's kind of like the same way like the rhinos never actually wanted to remove or overturn Roe versus Wade. They just wanted to fundraise on the issue and actually never solve it. Because once it's solved, guess what happens? The money dries up. You can't go and say that you're going to fix it. You're going to campaign on it. You're going to you're going to end Roe versus Wade. You're going to end the illegal immigration process. You're going to do this, that, or the other thing. They want an issue there so they can claim that they can solve it without actually ever solving it. And those are the two, you know, most obvious examples for me: the Dems with immigration and you know the Rhinos when it comes to pro life issues. I think those are both things that those specific groups never really have any intention in solving. And Biden continues to show you that, plain and simple. In Title 42, I think most of you probably are all aware that it was a smart maneuver by the Trump administration to halt um, the wave of of asylum-seeking immigrants coming into the country because of the worldwide pandemic that the left panicked about and scared everybody about. So he smartly, Trump, that is, smartly used the COVID nonsense to at least keep our borders a little bit more secure and not have to just accept people with a false asylum claim. That is another one I think needs to be 
you know, looked at a little bit deeper. Can't just show up on the border and say, oh, asylum. Like, that's the way it works right now, essentially. Uh, I live in a poor country, asylum. Um, I just want more of an opportunity in another country, asylum. Like, to me, asylum is if, like, there's bombs going off in your backyard, you're being persecuted, like, needs to be bad stuff happening. Not just that you live in a in an underdeveloped country or that you don't have any economic opportunity in your country. That's not asylum-seeking to me. Uh, there's a process to come into the country. We accept plenty of legal immigrants into this country. Come that way if you're looking for op- opportunities, economic opportunities. Don't just say asylum and we have to take you in. Not to mention, we're taking people in, kicking veterans out of their housing uh, situations in New York City in order to house these illegal immigrants. And they're crying that places like Texas keep shipping them to New York. Sorry. Deal with it. It's, it's again, it's one of these issues that you guys got to deal with. You want this to happen. Put pressure on your Democratic president then to do something about it. I don't want to see veterans kicked out of their, their housing at all. I want illegal immigrants to not be welcomed in, given cell phones, given clothes and in shelter for crossing our, country, our borders illegally, for, for breaking the law with the first act they do in this country. And the fact that we're, you know, choosing them, choosing to support them over people who have actually sacrificed for this country and given something to this country as a military veteran is ridiculous. I have a good clip that I want to play from... Um, from Ted Cruz when he was down on the border um, the other day. We'll split it up. Uh, it's a little bit long, so might give it to you in two little segments. But uh, let's do the, the first part of it, Juice. You got that? We are witnessing an absolute travesty unfolding on our southern border. On Monday, we apprehended over 10,000 people on the border, the highest level in history. On Tuesday, we apprehended over 10,000 people on the border, again, the highest level in history. There are right now, where we're standing, more than 22,000 people camped just south of the border, getting ready to come across. Just in this location, in less than a month, we've had over 35,000 Venezuelans cross illegally just right here, not counting the whole rest of the border. Every day, just right here, they're encountering, encountering 90 to 100 Chinese nationals. Now, for anyone that doesn't have their globe nearby, China is not immediately to the south of the United States. But 90 to 100 a day are crossing illegally on this border, being smuggled in by Mexican drug cartels. And, and I have to say, I am angry. Because this is deliberate. This is a decision that was made by President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and congressional Democrats to open up the border to what is nothing less than an invasion. Yep, and there you have it. He's right about that. It is absolutely an invasion. And it is deliberate. Great job, Senator Cruz. I love it. Um I think that's pretty much what we wanted to hit from that one, actually. I know I mentioned I was going to split it up, but that was uh, that was what I wanted to get to from him. I-, I love what he said. He's absolutely right. And it is a travesty that this is being allowed to happen, that 
the Democrats are just sitting back and watching it happen. They controlled the powers of government for the past two years, all three branches, and did nothing. Nothing about this situation. And they will continue to do nothing because they don't want it solved. Plain and simple. Now, I got one other clip that, you know, ties into this type of stuff here. Um, And it actually was a Biden administration appointee for the ambassadorship to the country of Jordan. And she was, um, you know, asked about that country's border security. And let's hear what she had to say about that. Juice, you got that one for me? Chairman, I'd like to stay on the topic of Jordan if I could, Ms. Lumpert. Um, is border security important? Senator, uh, thank you for the question. Uh, more security for Jordan or? Border security. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yes, Senator, border security is very important. Do you support physical security measures like border walls? In Jordan, Senator? Let's stay on Jordan. Uh, I think I would uh, have to defer to the Jordanians whether they think that uh, such uh, measures Well, we're spending American taxpayer dollars for border security in Jordan. Are you familiar with the president's budget request? I am, sir, in terms of uh, moving forward border security in Jordan, yes. $110 million is requested in the fiscal year 2024 budget to include border security for Jordan. And you, you request that. You support that request. I just want to make this clear. I do support that request. Okay. Um, hasn't the United States government built a giant wall along Jordan's border? With, on the border With between United Jordan United States taxpayer dollars, has the U.S. government built a wall along Jordan's border? The U.S. government has worked with Jordan to enhance uh, its border security in a variety of ways, Senator. Let's be clear. U.S. taxpayer dollars have been deployed in this regard. Is that correct? That is correct. And as uh, our nominee, uh, you'd be responsible for overseeing future funding in this regard. Is that correct? That is correct, Senator, if confirmed. In fact, the omnibus last year provides for at least $150 million for border security in Jordan. It's a large amount of taxpayer dollars. And if you think about the purpose of this, is to provide physical security, to keep people from illegally crossing into Jordan. Isn't that correct? It is to provide physical security uh, to stop uh, drug smugglers, uh, to deal with the threat of uh, Jordan's uh, neighbor, Syria. Uh, obviously, the conflict there uh, continues, and it's a, it's a dangerous neighborhood. Well, I would think that if the funding request that's been put in place uh, for, the, for the coming year is the size it is, there must be a belief that this sort of funding is important and that this sort of physical security is effective. Is that correct? In the Jordanian context, uh, I I do believe that that is correct, Senator. Well, you've been very clear to talk about this in the Jordanian context. I just think it's an important lesson for us to learn as Americans that we're spending United States taxpayer dollars to support border security in a country that we're trying to build stronger relations with. Uh, I think we ought to be learning a lesson ourselves because there's not a penny in the president's budget to support our own border security here. I mean, need we say more? This presidency, this administration willing to spend, what do you say, $120 million in their budget, taxpayer money, to go to the Jordanian border security, the Jordanian wall to keep people out of their country? 
in zero dollars allotted for our own border security. And the left is going to try to say, well, that's a dangerous area like she tried. Oh, they have Syria right there. Um, That's a bad neighborhood to be in. What's going on at our borders? What's going on in in Mexico, the southern border here? Yeah, I'm not afraid of Mexico invading us, but they might as well be. They're not invading us with an army, but they're invading us with a drain of our resources. What do you think those military veterans feel about being kicked out of their shelter in order to support all these illegal immigrants that are coming into the country, flooding our borders? I think a border wall would do us a lot of good. If it's good for the Jordanians, why isn't it good for us? But you guys know the answer. We already touched on it. They don't want to solve it here. Next. Why is AOC, she still owns the white pantsuit. Why is she not here with her head buried in her hands? All right. So the last story of the day that we'll focus on is the Jordan Naley situation in New York City. You guys have heard about this one already, I'm sure. But Naley was the um, career criminal, homeless man, bum, street dweller, unhoused individual, whatever you want to call him. He was a drug addict who lived on the streets and harassed people. He was on the subway a couple weeks back doing what he does best, bothering people, harassing people, being a nuisance and a disruption, and a Marine veteran by the name of Daniel Penny tried to restrain him, put him in a submission hold, and Mr. Neely died after having that hold put on him. Now, Daniel Penny had the hold on him. He was also being assisted by two other individuals, and they felt threatened. They put an end to the threat. End of story. But because Jordan Neely's black and Daniel Penny is white, this has become a national news story and a referendum on race relations once again in this country. It is a disgusting display of race baiting going on by the media and the president and the Democratic Party in general. That's what they live on. That's what they love to do. And... Again, I say this a lot, but how can you fall for this? Nobody in their right mind thinks that that this guy should have been killed in this situation. He shouldn't have died. But you're really going to going to try to say that it was because he's black and the guy who did it is white. That's the reason. And that's what it's going to be. That's what the whole any trial would be. They arrested Daniel Penny the other day and they're going to charge him. They're charging him with second degree murder. He made bail, he's out, but I wouldn't feel confident if I were him going in front of a jury of my peers in New York City over this when it's gonna when when you're gonna have politicians like AOC already calling him a murderer. Not a good spot for him to be in. This whole thing is a reflection on how poorly run the city of New York is. They're unable to police themselves because the police can't do anything. Their hand that their hands are tied by the administration by the government involved there, by the by the Democratic-led government in New York City that won't let police police. This man, Jordan Neely, kidnapped a seven-year-old girl at one point in his life. He punched a 64-year-old in the face. 
He punched a 67-year-old woman in the face, breaking her nose. He was arrested 44 times in his life. And he was currently out with an active warrant out on him. He was known to the authorities. The left wants to show you videos of him dancing like Michael Jackson on the subway. They don't want to show you videos of him punching people in the face, harassing people, disrupting people, being violent, yelling, screaming, threatening. He was saying things like, I'm not afraid to go to jail. I don't care what happens to my life. Getting in people's face. Penny's attorney said that he was, quote, swinging his arms at passengers when his client stepped in. What are we forced to do? Wait until someone actually shoots you, actually breaks your nose, gets on top of you, starts doing whatever they're going to do to you until you can actually do anything about it? Both of these men, Jordan Neely and Daniel Penny, let down by the incompetency of New York itself the governing body of New York, the government, the governor, the mayor, all of it, the DAs that go soft on crime, let these people back out on the streets, they're to blame for this. But of course, it's going to be white on black crime. That's it. White people hate black people. That's what it's all about. The whole country hates black people. Systemically racist, horrible, terrible, no good, really bad place. Give me a break. That's pretty much all I have to say on that one. It's pretty clear cut to me. So we don't really even need to go much further than that. We'll keep, uh, you know, that story in focus. Obviously, that thing's going to play out for a while. So I'm sure we'll circle back like Saki on that one and end up talking about it again. But that'll do it for the rights and wrongs this week. Love doing those segments. Stick around because we have an awesome come on man segment coming to you next. Next. So we've reached that point in the show where we get to find a clip, find a video, find some audio of somebody out there, usually from the left, that says or does something so absurd, so ridiculous that even though we're going to make fun of them for a couple of minutes here, there's really not much else we can say except, come on, man. So who do we have this week? Who's the target? It's going to be Massachusetts Governor Mara Haley. What'd she do? Well, she released this video, it was on the Twitter machine, and she wanted to thank all the public servants out there for all the hard work they do, herself included, with a nice strong pat on the back for serving their communities. So, Juice, you want to pull this one up for us and uh, see what we got? Hi, everyone. It's Governor Maura Healy. This week is Public Service Recognition Week. And I'm so lucky to serve with over 40,000 hardworking and talented state employees. Day in and day out, our team will go above and beyond for Massachusetts to help people, to keep our community safe and beautiful, and so much more. Dedicated public servants also working in our cities and towns, our schools, our hospitals, libraries, and nonprofits. The list goes on. So whether it's your first day on the job or your decades into service, I want to thank you for everything that you do. Yep, there you have it. She wants to thank you for everything you do. Well, first off, I will have to say, I'm sorry. This woman has no camera presence whatsoever, no charisma, no charm at all. If you could see this video, she's got her hands folded on her lap with this awkward looking smile on her face. 
and her head's moving like a bobble bobblehead doll. And she's leaning forward, leaning back, moving side to side. No clue how to act on camera. And, you know, I might be the pot calling the kettle black because I'm sure I have no clue how to act on camera either. But I'm not a polished politician. I'm not a governor of uh, the state of Massachusetts. So she needs a little bit of work done on there, uh, on, on that front. Um, but we all know why she's there in place anyways. One, because she's a woman. Two, because she's a lesbian. So checks a couple boxes right there. And she's been a part of the Massachusetts political you know, machine for years now. So that's you know what's gotten her to where she needs to be. About some of the things that she said in the video... She mentioned that her and her 40,000-plus public servants out there, I would call them 40,000 of the luckiest friends of a friend and uncle's second cousins once removed who actually held a sign on a Saturday afternoon for some correct political campaign at some point because that's how these people got their jobs. (laughs) Who are you kidding here, Governor? You know how it works. I used to be part of that, too. You know, you have the have a beer with the right person at the right time, and all of a sudden you get a uh, cushy city job or a state job. Oh, man. Or you happen to be the right skin color or the right sex to get preferential treatment on a civil service exam. We all know how it works. Don't pretend like these people are, are brain surgeons, that they did anything special. Like I said, they held the right sign at the right time for the right candidate and then got hooked up with a job on the back end of it. Everybody knows that. Come on, who are you kidding? And by going above and beyond, she also mentioned that these people go above and beyond. Well, the governor means that these people will treat you with zero customer service ability whatsoever. In fact, they'll actually treat you like you're bothering them for actually disturbing them while they're at work. Go ahead right now. I dare you. Try and call the state house. Ask a simple question. How about Boston City Hall? City Hall? Hell no. Oh, oh, I got it. Why don't you call the DMV and see how that public employee treats you? Let's see if they'll be going above and beyond for you. You know how it works. You call the DMV. You don't have the proper paperwork. Get in the back of the line. Take a number. Next. Wazowski, you didn't file your paperwork last night. Don't let it happen again. (laughs) There's a commercial about it that's on Boston radio about how absurd it is. And that's exactly what they say in the commercial. Remember the story I told you guys down here about how nice they were to me in South Carolina for not having the proper paperwork? The lady told me to skip the line, come back tomorrow, go right up to her window and she'll hook me up. You think anybody... That's on the public dime, on the public payroll in Massachusetts is doing that. After I left the city, trying to talk to them about getting getting my, my final paycheck or, you know, the, the health insurance stuff. Oh, my goodness. It was like pulling teeth. You're sitting there and someone, hold. Yeah, please hold. Oh, they're at lunch. Call back. Well, isn't that nice? Paperwork? This office is now closed. Nah. That's the type of attitude you get from these Massachusetts public servants. Come on, Governor, you know that. She also said something about people being the first year on the job. Not a lot of those out there right now because nobody wants these jobs anymore. The pay is garbage. 
you're overworked, you have a million bosses, they have all these department heads and all these people that are making 150k a year. Meanwhile, they have, you know, five people when they need 15 people working the register or working the customer service side of things. No wonder why these people are grumpy, miserable, and not willing to go above and beyond for you because they're overworked and understaffed. So there's not a lot of first-year people on the job. Anybody with any real talent wants nothing to do with these hack jobs. Or if they have any ambition in life, they don't want to be doing that. And the ones who have been there for decades, they're all running for the hills right now because these jobs aren't worth it anymore. You talk about people that have been there for years and years. You want to thank them. Nope, they're all retiring, lady. Police officers, they can't police anymore because the left wants to defund them. They want to scare them into not enforcing any laws. Good teachers can't teach because the left would prefer that they teach radical gender theory and that math is racist. And you mentioned public libraries? They've become stages for drag queens. How comfortable would you feel objecting to a drag queen story hour if you worked for a public library in the state of Massachusetts? You tell me if that's a great job to have. This message is so fake and insincere. It's incredible. And again, I already told you how un-camera-friendly the governor of Massachusetts is. So, Governor Haley, for your stupid little message and your overall demeanor, you, my friend, have earned yourself one big, fat, classic... Come on, man! And that's the show for today. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I look forward to broadcasting once again from the great state of Massachusetts next week. And uh, until then... Thanks for having me. The Right and Wrong Show is produced by Juice. Executive producer, Juice. Audio mixer is Juice. Hair by Skull Shavers. Wardrobe and makeup by Ashley Ruka. Right and Wrong Song created by Juice. The Right and Wrong Show is copyright 2022 from Brian Ruka.